the show today. A bad software update caused many major sites to go offline last Thursday. The FTC announces its plan to enforce right-to-repair rules. The FBI warns that broadcasters of the Olympic Games will be big targets this year. Our Scam of the Day covers a scheme to increase your phone bill. And today's tip gives you six ways to tell that a company's privacy policy is a bad deal for you. All of that and more is coming up on the July 26, 2021 edition of Cybersecurity Made Personal. Helping you stay safe in a connected world. This is Cybersecurity Made Personal. Hello and welcome to the Cybersecurity Made Personal Podcast, the safest podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Jim Herman. I have four stories on the news beat for you today. We begin with some news that affected sites across the entire internet. Beginning at about 11.20 a.m. last Thursday, a number of large websites were not accessible. Affected sites included the PlayStation Network, Airbnb, LastPass, TikTok, and UPS. The issue was traced to a problem at Akamai, a content delivery network, or CDN. CDNs store copies of web pages in order to help reduce the loading times. Akamai stated that a software update triggered a bug in its DNS system, the system that translates a web address into the numeric address that computers use. Akamai rolled back the update and resumed normal operations. Akamai further clarified that this issue was the result of the software update alone and not a cyber attack. Moving to Washington, the Federal Trade Commission voted unanimously to devote additional resources to taking on unlawful repair restrictions. The move has drawn praise from supporters of the right-to-repair movement, which pushes for companies to make repair manuals and parts available so that users can repair their own devices or have them repaired at any place they choose. While several states have passed right-to-repair legislation, the FTC believes it can enforce fines on violators using existing federal legislation. While the FTC did not name any potential targets, Apple is likely to be close to the top of the list. The Cupertino company has been one of the least open to outside repairs, and it has consistently lobbied against right-to-repair legislation. In a follow-up from a story we covered previously, the Dutch Data Protection Authority has fined TikTok 750,000 euros for violations of privacy, especially those of young children. The biggest reason for the fine was the fact that TikTok did not offer a privacy policy in the Dutch language. The documents also reference other possible issues, but it says that those are now under the purview of the Irish Data Protection Authority since TikTok established a European presence in Ireland. 
This fine follows a $92 million settlement made to U.S. users as part of a class action lawsuit. While TikTok is continuing to grow in popularity, it seems that the fines for privacy violations it's committing are growing right along with it. And finally, as the Olympic Games opened this past weekend, the FBI has warned that TV broadcasts of the Games are likely to be the target of cyber criminals. With the pandemic, Japan has restricted attendance at the Games, meaning that most of the world does not even have the option to attend. Therefore, the television broadcasts will be the only way for people to keep up with the latest activity from Tokyo. The previous Games, the 2018 Winter Olympics, were attacked multiple times, including the Olympic destroyer attack that disrupted systems during the opening ceremonies. That attack is believed to have been conducted by the so-called Fancy Bear Group, operating out of Russia, in retaliation for the banning of Russia athletes due to its doping scandal that was exposed in 2016. Since Russian athletes are still banned from this year's games, and Japan's relationship with China is somewhat rocky, it seems that many of the leading cyber attack groups will have plenty of reasons to want to disrupt this year's Olympics. And now we move on to the scam of the day. Today's scam is cramming. Cramming is the practice of adding charges to your phone bill that you haven't authorized. There are several different methods of cramming. One could be done by your cell phone provider itself. This is often done through the use of special charges that are buried on your phone bill. Even prepaid providers have engaged in cramming by deducting minutes from your balance for these charges since you obviously don't have a bill. Providers can also use deceptive practices to get you to sign up for extras. It could be something that's briefly mentioned when you're signing up, but that you don't actually agree to. Or it could be a vague call or text message you receive that you're being offered a new service as a trial, but you're not told the full price of the additional service until you see it on your bill. And there's also the possibility of cramming through third-party charges that can be added to your bill. While this isn't nearly as common thanks to app stores, third-party charges on your phone bill are still possible. This could be a free trial for a service with an exorbitant cost, or just a recurring monthly charge that you didn't realize would be recurring. And of course, as I mentioned, Many payments for apps on your phone have moved to app stores, making app store cramming another possible scam. Apps can market themselves as free with limited features and then pull you in by almost requiring in-app purchases in order to continue using the app or to be successful at the game you're playing. These purchases could be one-off or subscriptions, but they'll be run up on your card until you reach its limit. The best way to stop cramming is to keep an eye on your phone bill. In fact, I'd recommend that you don't have your cell phone payment automatically deducted. That way you can make sure you keep tabs on what you're paying before it comes out of your account. And if you do see a questionable charge, dispute it with your provider. 
You can also report the scam to the FTC. While they don't investigate individual circumstances, they will use the reports filed to investigate and find companies that engage in this practice regularly. If you find a scam that you think we'd like to talk about on the show, you can send it to us at scam at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com. And now it's time for the Cybersecurity Pop Quiz. Each week, we ask you a question in the field of online security or privacy, and it's your job to figure out the right answer. Today's question is a true or false question. The question is, if you clear cookies in your web browser, websites will no longer be able to track you. True or false? The answer will be revealed in next week's episode. But if you want to know it right away, you can go to cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash popquiz to submit your guess and find out if you're right. Plus, if you submit your guess on the website, regardless of whether you're right or wrong, you'll be entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card when we conclude Season 3 in August. But your guess to this question must be submitted before the next episode airs on Monday, August 2nd. For official giveaway rules, visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash quiz rules. Last week's question was, which of these is the most likely place where your credit card number could be stolen? A, a grocery store. B, a fast food restaurant. C, a sit-down restaurant or D, a gas station? The correct answer is D. Just two years ago, a sit-down restaurant might have been a more likely place, but the pandemic accelerated the implementation of kiosks where you can pay right at the table. That means the card never leaves your site or your possession. The kiosks weren't an innovation from the pandemic. They were already on their way but many restaurants that didn't have kiosks at their tables made them a part of their reopening strategy. And to be clear, the vast majority of servers would not have done anything that would compromise your card. But the typical low pay of servers, combined with the access they had to people's credit cards away from the eyes of their holders, did make servers a target for those looking to steal card numbers. A quick swipe of the card on a reader in the server's pocket or a snap of the front and back of the card with a cell phone made the data easy to steal. However, changes in processing cards at restaurants has made gas stations a much more profitable target. Pay-at-the-pump readers have made it easy for someone to fashion a small credit card skimmer that fits on the gas pump. It's easy to get it on the pump since they're unattended. And since some of these skimmers can even transmit data by Bluetooth, it's very easy for someone to drive by and download the cards from time to time. And finally, someone can come and get the skimmer and move it elsewhere without anyone else noticing. The fact that the pumps are not monitored makes it a much more dangerous place for your card than any other location. In order to get a skimmer on a credit card machine at a fast food restaurant or a grocery store, you'd have to find someone willing to let you mess with and modify the machine. 
Plus, you'll have multiple staff all working at that station and viewing the reader, making it much more likely that someone is going to notice the reader has something extra attached. And the same even goes for the restaurant kiosks. Even those aren't technically monitored all the time. Multiple waiters will be by the table, and someone would likely notice if one had an extra piece. So before you pay at the pump at the gas station, give the card reader a quick pull. If something comes off, you have good reason to be concerned. Or you could be like me. I put my money on a gift card and then use that at the pump. If someone gets that gift card number, I might be out a little bit of money if they decide to create a fake gift card, but I won't be giving someone access to run up large charges on my credit or debit card. Are you someone who reads privacy policies or at least skims over them before you agree? If you don't at least glance over what you're agreeing to, you could be agreeing to some very interesting terms. We'll discuss some ways that you can tell that a privacy policy is a bad deal for you when we come back from this short break. Hi, it's Jim. If you're enjoying the show, we'd love it if you could follow us in your favorite podcast player. That will ensure you never miss an episode. And while you're there, we'd also appreciate it if you could rate the show and give us a review. We'd love to hear what your thoughts are. And finally, the best review that someone can give us is to tell their friends about the show. Invite them to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or send them to our website, cybersecuritymadepersonal.com, where they can find links to the show in all the major podcast players. Thanks for your support, and now back to the show. On April 1st, 2010, GameStation quietly edited their website terms and conditions to add a statement that the purchaser granted the company, quote, a non-transferable option to claim for now and forevermore your immortal soul. Should we wish to exercise this option, you agree to surrender your immortal soul and any claim you may have on it within five working days of receiving written notification from GameStation.co.uk or one of its duly authorized minions, end quote. 7,500 people made a GameStation purchase that day, and only 12% of them checked the option to nullify the sole transfer provision of the terms. Those that did check the box were rewarded with a coupon code, while those that did not check it were later notified that GameStation was relinquishing any claim on their soul and that the addition of that provision was an April Fool's joke. GameStation was not the only company to conduct experiments or place hidden gems in their terms and conditions. As part of an experiment in conjunction with Europol, F-Secure provided free Wi-Fi on the condition that you provide them with your firstborn son. Amazon Web Services' terms and conditions contained a statement that negated one provision in the event of a zombie apocalypse. And PC Pitstop promised to give $1,000 
to the first person who wrote in to mention that statement. It took over four months and 3,000 downloads before someone contacted PC Pit Stop to claim the prize. So I think it's pretty clear from these examples that most people don't read the terms and conditions, privacy policy, or any other legal document they may be forced to agree to. And honestly, can you really blame them? In many cases, privacy policies could put even the worst insomniac to sleep quickly. However, privacy policies are slowly improving. While laws like Europe's GDPR are forcing companies to make their policies easier to understand, many companies have taken it on themselves to do it on their own. Now, you're just as likely to see simple terms laid out in an easy-to-read format. But not every privacy policy actually protects your privacy. Some are simply explanations of the multitude of ways a company will not protect your privacy. But you'll never know that if you don't check out the privacy policy first. When you click on a privacy policy, what things should you be looking for? Here are six signs that the privacy policy might be a bad deal for you. First, you want to consider where the links for the privacy policy are located and how easy they are to find. No one typically goes to a website specifically looking for the privacy policy, so you shouldn't expect a company's policy to be front and center on the website. But there should be a link to the privacy policy from every page. Someone could find any page of the website in search, so a privacy policy should be accessible no matter where a guest ends up. While a privacy policy is a requirement for any website that collects data, some companies go out of their way to hide it. I have seen privacy policies where the font was so small or almost the same color as the background, making it almost impossible to find if you didn't search the page. If you can't trust this company to make their privacy policy visible, can you really trust what the company is going to do with your data? Second, once you've found the privacy policy, you want to look for statements that the company collects data on you and shares it or sells it to third parties. Should you be concerned if you see a statement that your data will be shared? Not at all. In fact, I would be more concerned if a company outright claimed that they did not share your data. For example, if you enter your email address to sign up for email updates at the CybersecurityMadePersonal.com website, your data will be shared with our email provider. Even for the most privacy-focused company, there are still going to be reasons to share data. That's why it's important that you dig deeper and find out who the company is sharing data with. If you learn that your data is only being shared with an email provider or another legitimate service, then it's likely that you have nothing to worry about. But if this company is sharing data with a large number of companies, or with companies that you can't think of a legitimate reason to share it with, then that's a sign that you may have a problem. You also want to investigate the companies that will receive your data. What is their privacy policy like? 
For example, the antivirus maker Avast stated that they shared data with a company called JumpShot. JumpShot was a data broker, one that just happened to be owned by the same parent company as Avast. So while Avast could legally claim it was not selling the data of its users, it did share data with JumpShot, who then sold it. And because the sharing was disclosed, it was all legal, even if it seems a little dishonest. Third, you also want to consider what data the company is collecting about you. There's a big difference between a company collecting your name and email when you sign up for their email list, and a company fingerprinting your browser so it can try to identify you again. Once again, there may be legitimate reasons to ask for certain data. However, not every site is going to need to ask for it, and most of the ones that are asking for it are probably doing it so they can profit from it. So weigh everything the privacy policy says it collects with the purpose of the website or app. If you can't find a legitimate reason for the company to need it, and you aren't able to stop the data collection, then it might be wise to reconsider your use of that app. Fourth, consider the age and the language used in the privacy policy. Not all privacy policies will have an effective date written on them, but many do. If the policy has been in effect since 2006, then that's a sign the policy might not even be up to date anymore. Technology has advanced a lot in the last 15 years, so it's reasonable to assume the privacy policy should have advanced with it. You also want to consider the language that's used in the policy. Are there a number of typos on the site? If so, that could indicate it wasn't created or reviewed for accuracy by a lawyer. Obviously, a lawyer could still review a policy that's false, but a company that hasn't had their policy reviewed is probably going to be more likely to be making false or deceptive claims. And if the policy is filled with legalese and it's impossible to read and comprehend, that's also a very bad sign. Many industries use tactics like complicating the language, adding paragraphs that are almost completely useless just to extend the length, or making excessive references back to other parts of the document in order to confuse people. Privacy policies used to be no different. However, thanks to the European GDPR and increased attention to privacy from people around the world, most companies are simplifying their privacy policies into a format that is much easier to understand. Fifth, consider where the company is located. If the company has chosen to locate in a country that is extremely privacy-focused, such as Switzerland or the Cayman Islands, that's almost always a bad thing unless the company is doing it specifically because of the privacy laws. For example, many VPN providers are based out of those countries so they can try to avoid government pressure to track users and turn that information over to governments. But if a company known for its collection of data decides to locate in one of these places, it's a very bad sign for you and your data. There could be other reasons for that decision, but keeping their data practices hidden could absolutely be a big factor in that decision. 
Fifth, look for mentions of ways that the company protects your data while they have it. A company could say they will not sell or share your data unnecessarily, and they may even stick to that plan. But what good will that do if they store the data in plain text and have poor security practices that allow someone to come in and steal it all? A good privacy policy is going to mention how they keep the data they collect on you safe. And it will also state their policies for notifying you if the data is compromised. However, do be wary of companies that use security practices to make privacy claims. Some companies boast that they protect your privacy by using the latest encryption standards. However, encryption doesn't protect your privacy if the company turns around and sells that data with the decryption key to another company. When it comes to your data, both security and privacy are important. But don't trust a company that uses one to boast about how good they're doing at protecting the other. Sixth, look for how you can contact the company with questions. A good privacy policy should list multiple ways you can get answers if you have questions about it. If a company only wants you to contact them by mail or doesn't give you any other way to ask questions, you have a good reason to be suspicious. So that's it for today. Thanks for listening, and try to stay awake as you go back and examine all the privacy policies that you've already agreed to. We will be back next week discussing how you can protect your kids' privacy while they're online. So until next time, stay safe. Thanks again for joining us for the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast. Check out the show notes page linked to the description for links to the articles mentioned, more information about today's tip, and a transcription of this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would consider visiting our welcome page at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com welcome. There, you can find more information about the show and links to some of our most popular episodes. Cybersecurity Made Personal is provided for educational purposes only. Don't take any action on your computer unless you fully understand what you are doing and the possible consequences. Visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash disclaimer for more information. Cybersecurity Made Personal is a production of Personal Cybersecurity, LLC. I'm Jim Herman. Thanks for listening and stay safe.